From racing.com and top sport, this is a good three with Dr. Turf, Matt Welsh and Paul Tatnall. Hello and welcome to another episode of A Good Three. We've got Dr. Turf in the house. We've got Paul Tatnall and Turfy Paul, just before we introduce our very special guest, I've had a, an up and down morning. I was, I was awoken early, about uh, 4.30, so I went and sat in the study and did a bit of work. 4.30? I was sitting there and all of a sudden the silence was broken with the sound of the garbage truck coming up the street <laughs> and I realised, oh, I've forgotten to put the uh, the rubbish bin out. It's mm. absolutely chockers. I ran down the driveway. A long driveway too, to at Maddie's house. Ran down the driveway, missed the truck. I was absolutely deflated, carried the uh, extremely heavy garbage bin back up and thought, what the hell am I going to do here? Anyway, it dawned on me that uh, we've got a side street just around the corner and the bin might not have made it there yet. You creative uh, person. So I I lugged the bin up around the corner, up the hill, uh, took it up there and uh, it was like getting beaten and winning on protest. What a fascinating snapshot into the life of Matt Welsh that well, was. Well, we have any listeners left, Turf. We actually have some good guests what? this morning. 4.30 yeah. in the morning for starters. You went to bed again. What a way to uh, to start the show. Uh, we probably should have gone with a better intro, given we've got such a special guest in the house today. We've got none other than Kevin Bartlett, KB. And Kevin, the first question I want to ask... I was just getting home from uh, the nightclub at 4.30 <laughs> this morning. <laughs> I want to ask you, you spent a lot of time sitting alongside the great man Dr Turf on radio. How'd you put up with him for so long? Very difficult. It's very difficult. He's a very uh, quirky and uh, very antagonistic individual, Doc. And it's good to see him smiling. He was with Melbourne going through a bad patch at one stage. He was very da- glum and down in the dumps, but he's, funny... he's perked up a little bit after that performance against Brisbane. <laughs> we were 6-6 six and six for the last 12 games, but I just thought we were wondering about who to get on this week. And the, given the fact you played a bit of footy... And uh, it's footy finals time. Only for my local club. <laughs> yeah, 403 games, 778 uh, games, and I th- I th- goals. And I think if we actually continue on, we might hear about each and every one of those goals, Kevin. Well, you could, Doc, if you wanted me to. Uh, how my many first fi- goal was against Essendon. <laughs> yeah, right. That <laughs> uh, was my first full game. Who was your first goal? Uh, where was your first goal? Against Essendon at uh, Windy Hill. I played, I played the week before. I came off the bench as 19th man. Mm-hmm. Uh, why they had me on the bench as 19th man showed they had no idea whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. They didn't yeah. know I was the greatest rover in the game and I'm sitting <laughs> okay, on the bench come on, come on. Yeah. anyway I came on you know, just before three quarter time and then com- just completely dominated the game <laughs> so much uh, that uh, the coach um, the late Len Smith uh, Norm's brother Norm's brother uh, he was my first coach. Yep. My first game was his last game. We, uh, was it? Because he, had a heart, he had a heart attack on the Sunday. Are you and never ever coached again. He had a heart attack at the age of, was he late 50s, wasn't he? Late 50s, like yeah, late 50s. And, was uh, that because he'd kept you on the bench for three quarters? I think I worried him. I, uh, yeah. you know, I kept saying to him, you've got to get me on. You've got to get me on. Were you ever dropped again? Did you uh, play... No, no, I got dropped in my first year. Yeah. I played 14 out of 18. How'd you cop that, knowing that, you know, well, I just, the sort that, of person you I are? I nearly asked for a clearance because I thought clearly <laughs> they've got no idea what they're doing, this mob. Yeah. Um, so I played 14 out of 18 in my first year and 14 out of 18 in my second year. Mm. And then they came to their senses. And you played another 375 after that on the run, yeah. did you? Yeah, and the last 67 were all record-breaking games, Doc. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, I had a banner for 67 times. Congratulations, KB, breaking AFL record. <laughs> Can we? Did you? Um, did you ever get reported in that time? No, I never got reported, Doc. No, no, I was a very, very clean player. I got reported once, but yeah. I never got suspended. Got reported once for accidentally king hitting Bruce Nankin. <laughs> and did you? And did, didn't they, you fracture um, his eye socket? How did you get off that one? How did you fracture somebody's eye socket accidentally? With eight stitches. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, because it was an accident. It was an accident, Doc. Yeah. That's what happens. You can accidentally king hit people. <laughs> yes. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to knock the ball yes. away and all yeah. those sorts of things take place. Yes. And, um, they, and they didn't call me as a witness. Uh, mm. Well, and we certainly didn't call Bruce as a witness. He was sitting, <laughs> he was he was sitting there with me with his head in his hands, you know. Yeah. But uh, he's a great fellow, Bruce Nankervis. Yeah. I can say that now, can you? No, well, he was a great player. He was a very, uh, he was a terrific on baller, but also when he played down back and he played on me when I went to the half forward flank, I mean, he was uh, single minded, you know, like he would would never leave your side, you know, he'd be hanging on and, you know, the ball would be coming down, you'd be in a bear hug and all those sorts of things, you know, he was. He was focused, you know, but he was a very, very tough, uh, was tough that opponent. Controversial when you Which were. It's different than today because no one plays on anyone today. <laughs> no, that's you know, true, don't you? When you were, you've been a rover all those years and you shifted to a half forward flank, was that a big deal at the time? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And did you cop it all right? No. Was that Tommy? <laughs> 
No, no, that wasn't Tommy. No, Tony Jewell was coach at that no, time. Tony, Tony Jewell was that coach at that time. You had a great simpatico with him because neither of you had any hair, so <laughs> you, you sort of got on really well. Oh, no, I'd been Rover for 15 years, so it was known as Starvation Corner in those days. Half-forward flank? You know, so you went, mm-hmm. to, the, you went to the half-forward flank and then from the half-forward flank you generally went out of the side. I think, that's <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the way it went. But uh, I kicked 84 goals and that stuffed them up. <laughs> Back in your day, Kevin, players didn't move around the field like they do these days. I mean, you start on the half forward flank, you end up playing a multitude of positions oh, of these days. And back then you're on the bench, you spent a lot of time on the bench as opposed to rotating off every couple of minutes like they do nowadays? Well, in those days, I mean, if you played on the half forward flank, you know, generally people stayed around about the half forward flank, you know, if you played on your wing, you know, like Doug Hawkins wing out at the Bulldogs. So, I mean, that's where he was on the outer side of the ground. But of course, these days, because no one plays on anyone, once the ball is bounced, uh, you look up and you see three quarters of the ground vacant and everyone, you know, within really 30, 40 metres of the ball. So it's, it's a very, it's become, a, I would say in the last 15 years, it's like no other era in the history of the game. It's very, very difficult I think, to even judge players just how good they have been or are with anyone in the past because they don't have an opponent. Mm. And this is, why, this is why I reckon we see now the Brownlow medal, unless you can get 36 votes, Doc, you may not even win the Brownlow medal yeah. anymore, whereas once you could win it with 19 or 20 or 21, 22... And Ruckman could actually win it. Yes, and if you got to 20 votes, you're always in the mix to maybe have a chance. Well, they're 20 votes after nine games. Yeah. But what happens is if you've got the best players in the competition... And because they're innate and they're explosive and they're big and strong and all that sort of stuff and just know how to play the game and they're ball magnets and no one plays on them, well, obviously every week as mm. midfielders they're going, to, they're going to get thirty to thirty-five positions every week because there's nothing there to actually stop them. You don't think much of the Brownlow, do you? No, no, I don't. I don't, I, I don't rate the Brownlow because I never won the Brownlow. <laughs> And you were... F- I was favourite, Doc. You were favourite on favorite. how many occasions? Oh, well, I was favourite in 68 and 69 yeah. and uh, 71 and 72, 73, 74, <laughs> yeah. 77 and 78. Yeah. Uh, and I was favourite in, uh, in 84 and 85, but they found out I wasn't playing, Doc. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but they, you know, you, you, you've seen the games. I mean, it's, it's... The other day, the Giants were playing and in the first five minutes of the game, they had taken 21 marks. In five minutes. Yeah. Uh, you so, so it's a game of keepings off and people zone, uh, team defence, which is the greatest con in the history of the game, zoning, um, and it's just a matter of whether or not you hit the target. And if the side that hits the target, they will dominate and they'll win the game. The side that's slightly off, well, they'll get intercepted and, of course, everyone will run down one end of the ground and, and hopefully they'll score. So it's, it's an unusual way the game is played these days. At the peak of your powers, how do you think you would have gone in today's modern? Dominated. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I would have got 55 possessions every game. <laughs> well, there's no one playing on you for starters. Now, now this is, this is fair income, Doc, all right? You, you think I'm being silly here, don't you? Let me tell you this. I'm 75 years of age now, right? There was a time when at 75 years of age, if I went out and played football in the 80s or the 70s or the early 90s or the early 2000s, I would never even touch the ball mm-hmm. at 75 years of age. That's fair enough, isn't it? Yeah. Not even suburban football, Doc, would yes. I touch the ball at 75 years yeah. of age. Okay. But if I was going out now, if I could run out for Richmond now, I would be praying that the opposition would kick 20 points. Because I would just park myself in the back pocket 20 metres from the kick out. No one would stand near me, Doc. No one. I don't even have to move. And the guy at full back will kick the ball to me and I'll take a mark. That's 20 (laughs) marks I've taken, Doc. That's 20 possessions and I haven't moved off the spot. That's two brown mates too. Uh, Well, I could get three easily. Um, Now, if I wanted to, if I could actually move, I could move and handball to someone. Only so I could get it back. Get it back, yes. right? So you rack them up. I'm doubling my possessions. Yeah. So all of a sudden I've got 40 possessions at 75 years of age <laughs> yeah. and I haven't moved out of the back pocket yet, Doc. You guys get the feeling that I do that perhaps not a big fan of the modern day. <laughs> hey, no. Kevin. Um, you know I'm talking I, sense, Doc. I, I do, Kev. I don't like conceding that. Um, I know that you love horse racing. Yes. Just tell us about where your love affair with racing, because I know you used to go with your mum when you were a kid, didn't you? Yes, well, I never played cricket yeah. uh, because um, once the football season was over, my mum... Cricket was a real team game. Yeah, well... So you no interest in it. <laughs> no interest whatsoever. <laughs> but my mum loved football and that's where my love of footy, I suppose, started because we, we followed the Bulldogs. Is your mum Barry, 
Bulldogs. She both You're a Bulldogs family. Bulldogs family. And she came from Footscray and my grandparents lived in Footscray and my godparents lived in Yarraville. So we come from a Bulldog family. So we went everywhere um, uh, to watch the Bulldogs, even down at Geelong in those days, which was a hell of a trip from, from Melbourne. Uh, Dad had a little Ford Prefect, so it'd probably take us two days to get down there. <laughs> but uh, we, went to, we went to every game of the Bulldogs, and I was there in 54, going on for eight years of age when they won the premiership. My mum had tears in her eyes, and I remember I went in 61, I went with my mum to see Bulldogs play against Hawthorne, which we, we lost. And then, of course, I was there in 2016 when they won the premiership. So I might have been the only person in the planet to be at three, you know, grand Bulldogs. finals for the, for the Bulldogs. But my mum, once the football season was over... She, she loved punting. My mum was a punter. <laughs> so every Friday night we just got the Herald uh, in those days, which had a massive form guide. And Jack Elliott was the, you know, he'd have the biggest headlines and all that sort of stuff. And we'd sit down and we'd do the form. And the next day, if we didn't go to the races, which we went to the races a lot, um, I would run the SP, uh, the bets up to the SP bookmaker. Uh, Mr Gorman, his name was, lived at the end of the street, sat in his lounge room there with the radio going, the lights all down, he had a big book and I'd run up there <laughs> and say, g'day Mr Gorman. Mum would like uh, two shillings on, uh, you know, Dora Deb and the last race at Caulfield, you know. So um, that's where my love of horse racing started. I heard you recount a story, uh, I think it was at a VRC function, about the time that racing actually trumped the moon landing in yes, 1969? Yes. That's right. Well, <laughs> that was love letters to racing. Um, my first radio station was the racing station 3UZ. That's when I first uh, started. And, and it was famous because John Vertigan was the most famous... <laughs> odd know, man. He used to do the in the business. To, you know, you know, 30 or 40 years. 40 years. He was the voice of racing, giving the, you know, let's, you know, Caulfield race one and here's the scratchings and, you know, jockey changes and all that sort of stuff. And man landed on the moon and, of course, it was on television and radio stations were covering everywhere because... At school. You know, at school or you know, at work. Uh, but everyone was covering it um, because... You know, it was just such an historic thing. It and was. radio was doing it as well. You yeah. know, that was going off the, the screen saying, you know, uh, man's on the moon. And, you Every know, person um, on the planet was following yes. the progress of the moon mission. Yeah, it was just, it sat there for hours and hours yeah, yeah. and hours. And people were just talking about when they get out, are they going to sink into the, you know, the, will they disappear like quicksand? <laughs> you know, what will happen? You know, what will be, will the ladder collapse? You know, will the whole, <laughs> will it blow up? No yeah. one saw it. People just sat there. And people on radio were actually describing this as well. And John Vertigan was there doing the description. And he said, now they're opening the hatch. And this is going to be a big, big moment because Neil Armstrong is about to get out of the moon landing craft and he's going to step on the ladder and we'll just pause there and leave the moon. <laughs> They're about to jump at Kilmore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah. How good racing trumped uh, the moon that's landing. How, and that, that's when I thought racing, how big is racing? Did you back the winner at Kilmore though? <laughs> was there a horse that stood out to you when you were going with your mum, say you were a kid? Was there oh, one horse that <laughs> stood out that, and helped you love Fall yes. in love with the Yeah, I think Tullick. Yeah. Tullick was, uh, you know, the superstar horse of uh, the three-year-old at the time. Uh, still remember its breeding. Coruscant out of a mare called Florida. I think if our younger listeners go to YouTube and look at Tullick's win in the Caulfield Cup. 57. It is one of the most devastating finishes by a racehorse, isn't it? He... Well, he, start, he, he, started, he started odds on favourite, I think, Tullick, yeah. uh, in the Caulfield Cup. I was there that day with my mum, 1957. Um, he won by about four lengths. He beat um, Max Amber from memory and Sailor's Guide finished third. Sailor's Guide, of course, went to America. Only a few months later went to America and won the Washington, D.C. International. Yeah. So it gives you some indication that, you know, Sailor's Guide was a pretty fair horse. Uh, he was by a horse called Lighthouse. Uh, good name, <laughs> Doc, don't you think? Uh, so, <laughs> So... Tullick won by four lengths, and I think at that time it was the fastest time for a mile and a half ever yeah. on grass. Yeah. So he, he captured my imagination as a young kid because, you know, you hear about Farlap as a kid growing up, um, you know, how good Farlap Which I was. I did through my father. And my dad used to talk about Farlap. And Tullick, and I know Burnborough was in between, but sort of Tullick came on the scene and sort of captured the imagination, and he was the horse that was being sort of compared to to Farlap, you know, yeah. so for a young kid growing up, it was it was pretty exciting to have this unbelievable sort of, you know, horse winning these races. Don't forget, Tullick, Tullick beat uh, Prince Darius in the Victoria Derby of 1957 by about eight lengths mm. with his head on his chest, cantering. 
And he was owned by a bloke called uh, Mr Haley, who didn't like the idea of three-year-olds running in the cup because he felt that uh, it would uh, burn them out. Uh, so here's Tullick, who'd start, who would have started odds-on in the Melbourne Cup. He got scratched from the Melbourne Cup. The owners of Prince Darius ran Prince Darius in the Melbourne Cup and he got beat ahead on the line by straight draw. Yeah. So I but think it's, it'd be fair to say that Tullick could have won the Melbourne Cup in 57 by at least eight to ten lengths. That is one of the stories about the reason for Tullick being scratched from the Melbourne Cup. There is another story, of course, that there was betting in the Cups doubles involved and oh. perhaps certain parties didn't want Tullick to run in the second league. See, this is what Dr. Turf's always like, you see. He, he's always looking he's for something. He's got an angle. He's got an angle behind the scenes. Yeah. That, that, so you're saying the bookmakers no, got, to, got to Mr. Haley and said, what, we, well, we've got a... Your beautiful yeah. version of it. There, there is is a, that the Godfather, is it? Like uh, <laughs> when he said... Uh, we'll make you an offer you can't refuse. Make you an offer. And, and if you don't <laughs> sign this, if you don't sign it, your brains will be on the contract. Is that the one, Doc? <laughs> that one, <laughs> that, that's why Paul's got to keep the lawyers on retainer when you do this show, <laughs> KB. We know, we know Turfy loves a punt. You've talked about your passion for racing. Were you a punter as no. well? Are you a punter as no. well? No, I'm not a punter. <laughs> I don't bet. Uh, on Melbourne Cup Day, as Doc would know, you know, we did a number of Melbourne Cup uh, days as carnivals, as uh, doing broadcasts. And I had to bet for him because he... No, but I, I, I'd have a bet in the Melbourne Cup. I'd have, you know, a, yep. cu- a couple of dollars or something like that. And if I had a friend that had a horse, I'd, you know, have $2 on it. You'd never have any money on you. How much money... Right now, how much is in your pocket? I've got no money. Oh, I know. <laughs> so it's all very well to say... You used to bet, but I used to bet for you because yes. you never had a cracker on you. Yes, that's true. But it was only, <laughs> even then he was he was pretty mingy. I'd say, oh, <laughs> I, I, I'll have two dollars on you know a horse in the in the Melbourne Cup, and yeah. Doc would go, oh, two dollars, <laughs> you know, embarrassed to ring up and, yeah. <laughs> and oh, say I'll have two dollars. I would ring the account. I would ring the account and say. Uh, and two dollars on Maccabi D, please. And they'd say, "Are you betting for Kevin again?" <laughs> it was one of the funniest days we had was we were broadcasting the Melbourne Cup, and uh, it was um, the day that um, we we actually got one of the jockeys up before the Melbourne Cup to actually have a chat to us, which is this, not this easy because we were what Doc, of course, said to me. <laughs> I've got plenty of pull here at Flemington, don't you oh, worry about no. that. We'll be right down on the fence, right there in the <laughs> saddling enclosure where they come out. They see that little tent over there. We're about three inches from the track and the jockeys and the trainers. So when I got there, honestly, uh, it was a trek. We, we were at the, you could, I didn't even think we were on the course at one stage. <laughs> I said, are we broadcasting from here? <laughs> that he said, bad. we could not even see the track. That's where we were. There was a... There was a wall in front of us. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, but we were able to get a jockey to come up and have a chat to us, and that jockey was Michelle Payne, who was riding the 101 chance Prince of Penzance. So this I remember half that. half an hour before the cup. This half time. an hour before the cup. I mean, yeah, because she's on 101 chance. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know how we ever got it, but she found a way. She probably started coming up about race three, Doc, you know, <laughs> to, to actually find us. And, and I said to Michelle Payne, this is how you get egg on your face, I said to Michelle Payne, now, the week before in the Mooney Valley Cup, you got beat by the United States, but you led, you know, nearly all the way, and the United States grabbed you, you know, right on the line virtually. I said, now, from your barrier today, you, you've got the opportunity to lead straight away like the Mooney Valley Cup. Why don't you jump out, uh, Prince of Penzance, go to the front, and when you go past the post the first time, I'll take a photograph <laughs> and I'll give it to you. And then you can always say you're first past the post in the Melbourne Cup. And she said, oh, I don't think we want to lead in the Melbourne Cup. I want to try and settle, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we're watching the Melbourne Cup and I'm standing next to Doc. (laughs) And and, uh, Brian Martin was doing our calling at that stage. And uh, I remember about 200 metres out, Doc says to me, I think, no, no, that's... That's not Prince of Penzance, well, is it? You had to look at your race book to make sure you were seeing what you were seeing. <laughs> My God, Doc said, I think it's Prince of Penzance. <laughs> and, and I spoke to uh, Brian Martin after the race, and Brian said when Prince of Penzance peeled off and hit the front, he actually paused momentarily in his mind make and sure. thought, who in the hell is this horse? Yeah. You know, and he had to sort of gather himself to think, well, it's bloody Prince of Penzance. I'll remind you two things here. Firstly... We asked Michelle, did she think she could win? And she said, I dreamt that I was winning the Melbourne Cup and then I woke up and thought, oh, no, it was just a dream. Mm. Uh, and the other thing I remember from that, that we were – Darren Weir was sitting three rows in front of us. 
in the members' grandstand. Because he didn't like getting anywhere near he the never crowd. never went near the owns. He sat on his own. And I was, so I was watching him, and he just sat there like that, completely. He never moved. He never raised his arm, never cheered, nothing. He just sat there and watched Prince of Penzance. Well, he probably didn't think it was Prince yeah. of Penzance. And then, of course, <laughs> people, like, Who won that race? people <laughs> ran over to him, had their, you know, were hugging him and had their arms around him, and he was still just sitting there. It was bizarre. And then, of course, what came out of that was was that they made a movie of, uh, yep. of Michelle Did they Pryor. include uh, he well, dirty, he dirty rider? Well, well. Surely that was a key part of the day they needed to include. Well, yeah. Because we interviewed the – there was the actress that was the producer that wrote it. Rachel uh, Griffiths. Rachel Griffiths. Griffith. So we interviewed Rachel oh, and you put yes. it on her too that you should – we should be in the movie. Well, Rachel came up and, and she was lovely. I think I even got a ticket for a Geelong. Did. I got a ticket for a Geelong game because I thought this is a big chance for me and Doctor to be in the Hollywood movie. <laughs> uh, so – you shouldn't have insisted on Denzel Washington playing you. I know. I, <laughs> I wanted. It was interesting because they said uh, we said, "Well, this is this is an, a unique part of this story." Like the only interview given by a female jockey to win the Melbourne Cup gives it to Doctor Turf and myself half an hour before the race, and we're talking about being first past the post and all that blah blah blah. This would be a fantastic part of the movie, you know. Nice. We, we were like. Writing the movie script for him, weren't we? <laughs> they Doctor? were, and uh, they said, "Oh yeah, no, you'll get, you'll we'll be in the, in, yeah, you'll we'll be in the movie, you'll be in the movie." And then, Doc, you tell the story. We get a note one day and said, "You know, we yeah. want you to be playing a, a role extra. in the movie." And what was it? <laughs> I can't remember. It was a steward. What was it? Well, they wanted us to be yeah. standing in a crowd scene. In the crowd scene. Oh, no, yeah, oh. I know. And it's not doing justice no. to the story at all. And it was like if you got six hours or eight hours, you know, to sort of uh, spare. <laughs> well, in those days, I was working so on radio doing. On. I was Turfie, doing drive. Who did you want and to Doc play you? With me. Well, George Clooney was going to play me, so I, I was sort of comfortable with play. that. No, I was going to play myself. We were going to play ourselves. That's what we wanted. Who's the best horse you've ever seen? Uh, well, I think Tullock's the best horse I've seen. Uh, you know, be, uh, but there's been a lot of great champions. It's it's difficult, isn't it, to to say you know how great Winks was. I mean, you know, when what you win thirty five in the straight was it thirty five in the end or 33, 34, whatever it was, uh, just just remarkable. And we I watched every one of those Cox plates with you when she won the four Cox plates. Did you uh, make it into the track or were you up in the bleachers no, there we as were, well? We, we oh. were. Oh, no, Mooney Valley really looked after yeah. us. <laughs> Do you remember we looked when, I can't remember the name of the horse that ran up possibly to beat her. Uh, and, and yeah, we, that was, uh, what's the name, Weir's old horse. Yeah, humidor. Not, humidor. Humidor, yeah. humidor. We looked at each other, oh, no, don't tell me. But it, she found. But uh, no, we were right next to her. Oh, no, we, we had a good spot there. Uh, uh, Amanda Elliott, uh, Doc used to drive Amanda Elliott home from the races. Uh, and he thought that gave him a real in, you know, because he and Amanda were just like that. You know? <laughs> they were just like that. And um, when we went to Flemington that time, uh, that's why Doc said to me, Don't I, will we're, we're sweet, down. we're <laughs> sweet. I've had a, I'll have a chat to Amanda yeah. and, you know, we'll, we'll nearly be riding the horses. That's how close we'll be. <laughs> and that's when we finish up the back. But Mooney Valley really looked after yeah, it. Really your horse wasn't good and Caulfield was very good too. No, we were right uh, next to the action on yeah, we Coffee were. Yeah. was good. So it was. It was, it was, it was Tullock for you, and then, I, I think, then maybe Wiggs. Uh, well, Maccabi Diva. I mean, you've got to. I mean, to win three Melbourne Cups, that's never going to be done again. I don't think so. Not in anyone's lifetime. Uh, to win th- three Melbourne Cups, she won the Australian Cup. She won the Cox Plate. Uh, she was a mighty horse. I mean, slightly different than Winks because, you know, I know Winks won some handicap races, but, you know, she was a handicapper as well as a weight for age star, ran over longer distances, probably ran against probably uh, a greater variety of horses over all those distances. Uh, I, I think, I think you know, we've, we've got to be very careful not to leave uh, Maccabi Diva out of any of those um, um, comparisons, I think. Okay, before we let you go, uh, prediction for the footy finals. You still back for the Tigers because I know you turned your back on the club for forty years. I did. I mean, that's, see, you exaggerate all that all the time. That was sixteen. Sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Tigers have got a chance. They've yeah. got a chance. Um, but I'll tell you why they've got. We a We cha- softened up Brisbane for them. Brisbane. Well, Brisbane. Um, mm. I don't think Brisbane will have have any problems beating Brisbane. Yeah. 
I, I think Richmond will beat Brisbane. Uh, they were very poor, weren't they, against yeah. Melbourne? They were yeah. really, really poor. And don't forget, they played Richmond at the MCG early in the season. And You're 50 minutes, points. They led by about seven goals at yeah. one stage, and Richmond still got over the top and, and, and beat them. See, I reckon there's a thing in football, this is where I think Richmond have got a chance, uh, even though they haven't got the double chance. You know, some sides go into finals games and grand finals even, uh, where they believe they're going to win. There's other sides that go into those games hoping they're going to win. And I get the feeling that, you know, Brisbane's one of those sides that hope they're going to win. Um, whereas Richmond is a side that believes they're going to win because they've won so many big games. And, you know, it's, you know I played in a great era with the Richmond Football Club and that was one of the things about the, the side that there, there, there is a belief, you know, that yeah. you can be six goals down or seven goals down, but you think, you know what, we, we'll still win this. We'll, we'll still get there. We'll chip away and we'll win it. And I remember Tommy used to always say, you know, no one, no one will ever be able to withstand 100 minutes of pressure from a Richmond Football Club side. They won't be able – sooner or later we'll make them crack, you know. So you, you played with that mentality, you know, they're in front in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, but we'll, we'll crack them at some stage. And I think Richmond has that – that mentality at the moment. I think they do. So I think they'll win. Um, the other games, I think Geelong plays Collingwood. Hard to go past the Cats. Mm. Um, you've, you've been tipping their demise for they're, well, 15 they're, years. Well, they're in decline. I told you they're in decline. <laughs> yes. I told you that after 2011, they won a premiership in 2011. How many have they won since 2011, dog? Uh, well, None. No, no, no. Well, they're in decline, haven't they? They're, they're, they're in decline. <laughs> yeah. They're in decline. Paul uh, Barracks for Geelong, by the way. Oh. Well, you know what? When they played Richmond up at the Gabba there in the grand final, you know, there, there was a side that I reckon hoped they were going to win the grand final. They did not believe they were going to win the grand final that day. Should they have been over at half time. Anyway. And so at half time, going in on 19 points up instead of 40 points up, yeah. all of a sudden, they didn't believe that was a big enough break for them to hold out Richmond and Richmond then just ran over the top of them. Um, so no, Cats got no chance. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> who wins they'll it? They'll beat Collingwood. They'll beat Collingwood, but they won't win it. They if you're going to pin down one team who you think will win the flag this year. I think Richmond will win the flag. I think we can win the flag because... That's we now. Have you put your hand up, rung Damien and said, look, I'm happy to play in a back pocket through the final series? Well, I'm just waiting for the call. I mean, uh, I haven't played for a while, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I might need a run somewhere. Might need a training run. But uh, look, uh, Geelong uh, should beat Collingwood, I would think. Um, Melbourne plays Sydney, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Melbourne should beat you. I, I thought Melbourne uh, against Brisbane were back to what we saw. Bit last, last year. year, I thought they were fantastic. Uh, the way they pressured around the ball and numbers around the ball. Uh, Oliver's a fantastic player. I think he should win the Brownlow medal. Uh, you know, Petrarca uh, is a terrific player. They play so well week in and week out. But again, as I say, you know, generally you don't play on anyone. So these great players, <laughs> no, but these great players, how do you stop them yeah. if, if, no one, if no one plays? On them. So I think Melbourne uh, are good. And I think the Bulldogs will upset Fremantle. Mm. I think the Bulldogs will cause an upset and beat Fremantle. Okay. So uh, there's four winners. Um, <laughs> Plus and Tigers as, as Doc play. knows, and I haven't said this yet on this program, but I'll say it now, that I am the world's greatest footy tipster. Doc knows that. I've told you that well, many you've times. You've told me that. And I've world's disp- greatest footy every, tipster. I've disputed I've won it. every football tipping competition I've ever been in. How many have you <laughs> entered? Not many, but <laughs> but I am the world's greatest footy tipster. So there's, there's four winners, Doc. You know who leads winners. the Herald Sun tipping when they've got about 80 tipsters there? You know who's leading? Yeah, and Jane Butt. Jane Butt. Yeah, but, but the weather girl is in front of everybody. She is, she is. She wouldn't be in front if I was tipping, Doc. You know I'd be Jane Bunn. <laughs> okay. Do you know, when I used to work for Steve Isard, Oh, many, many yeah. years ago. He, the guy he, pulled he, the gun. He was in, yeah, that time. Tell him that story. He then. was incredibly popular, Steve, and he was a celebrity tipster in the Herald Sun. Mm-hmm. Steve was a great Hawthorne fan, but he didn't have time to put his tips into the Herald Sun. So uh, for three years when I worked for Steve, I used to put into his tips for the Herald Sun. And every week I would tip the team playing Hawthorne to beat them by one point. <laughs> he never he never twigged in three years. He never put it to look, obviously. Never read the Herald Sun. <laughs> three years he tipped against his own, his own club. Yeah. And that's when, uh, because Doc was a comedy writer, 
Yeah, isn't that a joke? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Doc, was, Doc was a comedy writer for Steve Weizart and uh, one day he questioned uh, one of the uh, executive producers or producers or something like that. He was the, and the, the producer. And the pulled out a gun and put a gun on the table. And he Doc did. said, I agree, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with that joke. I like that joke. His name was Mike. and uh, right? He was, he was let go not long after that. He scared the... And you you wielded your power to... No, well, when your producer pulls a gun... No, <laughs> he didn't put a gun on us. No, 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 no he put he it on, put on the, the table. table. Where did he get it from? You could have guns well, he, in those he days, was, he, In all honesty, he, he was an ex-Vietnam vet, yeah. and I don't think he'd Hand fully it, recovered. Did, no, did, seriously, yeah. But was it, he didn't hand the gun in? <laughs> no, I don't know whether it was part of his old gear, but um, anyway, how do you remember he those? He you, didn't he, <laughs> he, he, Well, he got my attention, Kevin. <laughs> Turfy, KB, we could chat all day. You guys could just keep telling stories, no doubt, back and forth. Producer's giving us our wind-up and hopefully he doesn't have a gun in his pocket. But, uh, Kevin, it's been outstanding catching up with you. Love some of the stories you've dished on, Turfy. I think we'll have to get a few more for future oh. episodes. But uh, thank you for making the time Pleasure. to come in. Pleasure. Thanks, Kev. Good on you, dog. Nice to see you again. Nice to say hello. <laughs> yes. Having a bet on sport this week? Top this. Whether you're into cricket and curling or golf and greyhounds, Top Sport will let you on for plenty. And with literally hundreds of markets from your own backyard to the international stage, Top Sport has you well covered. So if you want to get the top odds every time, bet with Top Sport. Top that. Download the app today. Top Sport. Feel the excitement. Don't let the game play. You stay in control. Gamble responsibly. An early look. All right, Turfy, it's time to find a few winners on Memsy Stakes Day. And I tell you what, when the acceptances came out for this meeting, mm. I just got a little bit excited. <laughs> I, bet you, I bet you did. Uh, we don't really want that uh, image. Uh, I reckon... I reckon taking it to the gutter. This is... That's where I live. This is just a great edition of the Memsy. It's a cracker because we've had a couple of wobbly ones the last few years, but uh, this is a cracker. It certainly is. Let's talk about the speed quickly. I would have thought Snap Dance is mm. hard to lead. Yeah, I probably. Imagine a horse wanting to lead Snap Dancer. Yeah, yes. No, I don't disagree with that. Um, yeah, the, I think she's a tiny issue with running a strong 1400, so maybe they'd want to uh, get some sort of sit in the race. There's an argument for alligator blood uh, with now I with heard Gay. That last night on that was, that was Grace. Um, yeah. I don't think call sign Mav has got the pace to cross from 14, but, um, you know, we've seen him lead here in Australia over uh, in other races. Yeah, good uh, good race. Um, not exactly sure about the uh, about the speed map. Tefani, of course, she'll box seat yeah, no matter Tefani's what. Yeah, Tefani's going to get a lovely run from gate three, and yep. she has to be right in the mix because she won first up 1,400 last campaign. I think yep. she's jumped out better. But let's talk about how you're attacking the race. It, it's obviously, for some horses, it's a pipe opener to bigger and better things, and maybe for one or two, a grand the, final. The two horses that really interest me, and probably a little bit lesser known at the moment, are uh, Western Empire from WA, whose form is spectacular, really. He's just, you know, Bob Peters clearly knows which horses to bring over here and which ones not to. And he is a very, very talented horse, drawn a touch awkwardly, but could find himself midfield with cover, which would be ideal. And, of course, the new kid on the Brock, Elation, who uh, only had the three starts, beaten inferior opposition, but uh, was very, very good in doing it and ran time, particularly two starts back over the 1,400 in the Nitsky. So they're, they're the two that uh, are trying to establish themselves, certainly elation as a four-year-old. This is scary, and we're certainly not Robinson Crusoe here, but we've both landed on the same horses. Mm. It worries me. <laughs> yeah, it probably worries me. Too. You know, to be perfectly honest, uh, Matt, in, in a field of 14 where 12 horses are first up, you're not really going to be jumping into, you know, the three main races, this, um, the McNeil and the Cochram. I think there's 42 horses. I think 34 of them or something are first up. So tread warily, punters, tread warily. Fitness is going to be very, very important. You and I, I mean, I don't know how many jump outs I've watched in the last 48 hours in preparation because they're all resuming. Yep. And the jump outs tell you not much. You know? They tell me Western Empire is going very very well. Well, you could see him, could you? And, and elation is that, flying. That. Well, his Flemington jump out prior yeah. was outstanding. Yeah. His jump out at Geelong was, was brilliant. Brilliant? Well, uh, that's uh, unacceptably poor standard, that jump out footage. 
Let's move on. Yeah. Let's move on. The Cochrane is. You just want to brush that off, do you? You're a partner. Don't, don't you care? Oh, I'm trying to improve it day by day, okay. Turfy. It is a project I'm working on, and at least we've got. Perhaps not film them into the sunlight. It's probably a good place to start. There are challenges that need to be addressed, and <laughs> anyway, they will be addressed. Yeah, you're let's squirming. move, on, move to, on. Let's move on to the Cochrane. I'm not squirming at all. I think passive aggressive. Best bet of the day. <laughs> Well, how can it be that? Well, look, I'm not. How can you no, pot her? She's, she's she's the best bet of the day. Okay, all right. I uh, think she should be even money. She's or well, she might end up if the uh, computer games get stuck into her. Um, she uh, she is one of the obviously very interesting runners on the weekend. Can she now stamp herself in this sort of company? We've seen what she's done in inferior company. She goes back around the bend here. Looks like she's going to get given the ground. Uh, we've had a little bit of rain, obviously um, Wednesday and Thursday morning. It's not going to be too bad Friday. It's going to be warmish Saturday. One can only hope. I think it'll get close to that good well, rate. I think it well, it was so dry. <laughs> was it two weeks ago? Yeah. Jeez, it was dry that day. Um, so it, it may end up getting around about a four or a five. Um, she needs to establish herself. This is a very good mare's race, the Cochrane this year. This is a really strong uh, addition of the race. And it's a good test for her. But I, I understand what you're saying. All of her... Um, Residual fitness, all drawn of, beautifully. Yep, all of that. Lovely trial. But you graceful, me, graceful girl for mine is the main danger. Her winter bottom win was outstanding, but I think she's jumped out like a horse who probably wants a run or two. Yeah, and she's also a bit of a get-backer too. So um, I, I, I know where you're coming from, and if I had to put tips in the newspaper, I'd be tipping her on top, but I, I, I don't think I'll be backing her. I think I'll try and get her beaten. Let's talk about some bets you are keen to have. Yes. I saw on... Um, Contenders last night, you mm. wanted to back half the field in the McNeil? Uh, well, the McNeil's a, obviously a very, very uh, good race, a very strong race. And, you know, Arth Cabin, who I was really taken with in that midweeker at Sandown, um, I think he's the horse to beat, but I suspect he's at Caulfield to become acquainted with Caulfield, you know, with guineas and all of that down the track, guineas, preludes and so forth. So coming back to the 1,200 from an inside draw doesn't really, you know, have me in raptures about him, but I do think he's a very, very good horse. I think the safe way to go there for, uh, for me would be Zamborghini. I'm a little bit taken with him as well. He's only he's two for two. He's jumped out really well. B. Mellum and M. Laurie are putting, Lethal combination. putting, putting together a pretty nice uh, body of work this year. Uh, so th they're the two that um, interest me. You know, Jackano's awkward. I mean, he jumped out well, Jackano, but that inside draw doesn't suit him because he just can't seem to get out of the gates cleanly. Um, again, it's just another good race. Cracker, I agree. I think Zambagini's going to be a very, very hard to beat. I I've got Going forward, half cabin. Yeah, he's the horse, but yeah. 1,400 back to 1,200. It's an issue. But he, look, he's w way above he average. Is. My best value of the day, Turf Race 9, number 7, Luna Flair. Yeah, she's airborne uh, for Johnny Val Morbin and um, Graham Begg, who's got a very, very nice little stable uh, firing up at the moment. I haven't had a good look at that particular race, but, um, you know, I've seen her, I saw her jump out the other day as well and jumped out really nice. i tell you one horse, you talked about Passive Aggressive's race, and I'm not saying, she, you know, she's clearly the horse to beat, but that filly Zuzarella, or that mare Zuzarella of the Freedmans, you know, had a bit of an aborted campaign last prep. Was I don't think she was that flashly ridden in a thousand guineas back in her three-year-old days. I remind you of her first up run last preparation, and it was around horses like um, Fangirl and Espiona. Yep. She got caught wide the entire trip and was still there with a fifty or sixty meters to go. Yep. If she can reproduce that filly form at twenty-five to one, she's a good roughie, surely. She is. She is. I, I think the favourite is going to get a lovely run and be too good, but she can yes. certainly run well. She trialled up okay. Well, I suspect uh, probably five five to one the place. It might represent bet. better value than... Uh, Just going back to that last one, I think Luna Flair, very hard to beat. I think Dash and Sweet Junior will run very well first up. And interesting that Jamie Carr rides... I mean, I know that she has an association with the horse Adelaide Cup win, but mm -hmm. first up at 1,700 as well. So obviously going to stick with the horse throughout the, at least the early part of the preparation. Always a good race the Heatherly. Yep. Uh, is there anything else that stands out for you on the card? A uh, bet? No, not really. Um, I think it's a really fascinating – I mean, even that sprint race, the, the McAfee or whatever it's called – that's a cracking sprint race when you got in the boat and um, Clinton McDonald's Star Patrol horse. That's a that's a very very competitive race. That one. I'm, you know, and I know I've said this before. This is the sort of meeting I think 
you're going to learn a lot, you know, so be careful with your, your gunpowder. You know? No no doubt about that. Uh, all right, well, that's a look at Caulfield on Saturday. Luna Flair for mine's the best early bet at um, each way odds. I think she'll run terrifically well in the last, and passive-aggressive is going to be awfully hard to beat. And Cesarella is my best each uh, best roughy. And I think Zambagini each ways, but I just think he's a solid each way better than Zambagini. Making it rain, Turfy. Throwing out value left, right and centre. Making it rain. Right. We don't need any more rain. Haven't you noticed? Let's have a chat to Tristan. Having a bet on the racing this week? Top this. With Top Sport's best of the best multis, top odds are guaranteed. Place a best of the best multi during Saturday Metro meetings for the top flux or dividend from the best three national totes. Plus, there's best of the best to win up to five grand too. Top that. Download the app today. Top Sport. Feel the excitement. Don't let the game play. You stay in control. Gamble responsibly. A look from the book. Presented by Top Sport. Great to catch up with uh, Tristan from Top Sport. And Tristan, I'll tell you what, I was half in the fetal position in the uh, commentary or the broadcast box at the Valley at halftime last week. We hadn't had a favourite roll in. In fact, we'd had a number of roughies hit the board. It must have been a bit of a fill up for you guys. Yeah, certainly early in the day, uh, we were very much in control of proceedings. And uh, yeah, we were very happy crew in the office there for, for probably the first half of the day. Then the punters fought back a little bit over the quaddy legs. And obviously, Animo uh, in Sydney was very well supported in, in the big race there as well. So the punters got a bit back, but then we finished off okay. But you know, from our perspective, we also had eight out of eight favourites cover the line on Saturday, which uh, caused a lot of uh, unease oh, with all get, the multi the violin. Yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling bad for you, mate. Of course, even Sam got the money in the last at Mooney Valley just, oh, to, just to cap the day off. What about I was on Zakat? So, so was oh. I. The king of nature, the, the the king of nature strip. He, the bloke, the horse that knocked off nature strip twice won the last at the Valley at twenty fives. Work that one out. I see some of the market moves Tristan into the future markets based on Animo on the weekend. You guys are dead set dreaming, aren't you? <laughs> We're always dreaming, but yeah, there certainly has uh, has been a few different moves, and it was it was a funny old race. I Is thought it just free money? This that's future markets is free money for you guys. Like you just put whatever odds, and people just take them. Or <laughs> oh, you, you got a few sharps out there that know what they're doing. They they can predict. I think from our end, what it is 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 punters try to find a bit of value in those early markets and uh, come for some wide runners, and hopefully they start a bit shorter and can make a bit of a book come race day. But yeah, it's always always a bit tricky. But uh, if you can put those favourites in your multis, you're normally pretty happy from our side. Just before we head into the races, uh, Tristan, uh, it's AFL finals. I know uh, the NRL's got another week to go, but. Um, with the uh, down to the last eight teams now, how does your market look, and you know what's your greatest uh, exposure? Yeah, well, thank Christ we got rid of those uh, those garbage games at the back end of the season, so we're moving into the uh, into the good games, and it's a really it's going to be a cracking uh, run home because with the demons having that impressive win, which I'm sure you've heard all about this morning, uh, the uh, they've, they've firmed up into second favourites. They're three dollars twenty because that win on Thursday night last week was massive. Who's favourite, Chris? Is- <laughs> <laughs> the handbags are favourite, and then uh, then Swanee's uh, Swanee's six dollars. So that's going to be a massive game between the Demons and the Swans. I think whoever wins that is going to firm up into probably equal favourite with the Cats. I feel. Then the Pies nine dollars. Richmond are probably that danger side at eleven. Three oh seventeen. Then thirty one about the uh, the Lions and the Bulldogs. I just can't turf. I'm I never known a final series, Matt. You're Melbourne as well. I'm not enjoying it. It's just too. We haven't even started. I just can't do it. Hang on a second. I just can't do it. I'm I'm nervous already. No, it's just unpleasant. Yeah, it Uh, is because you know you're exposed to playing at the MCG as opposed to being Molly Coddled coddled at the uh, at the Cattery on a weekly basis. What about uh, the NRL? You know, I tried to get a push for the Storm, who've uh, resurrected their season a bit, but people just tell me that the Panthers, the Panthers, are just nearly morals. Yeah, well, I probably tend to agree with that, but it only takes a couple of uh, injuries and that can mm. change things. But if you're a Storm fan, tune in on Friday night. I think this game is going to be close to the match of the season between the Storm and the Roosters. Um, if the Storm can continue their dominance against the Roosters, who won about eight straight, um, 
I think that maybe they're going to be a threat over the finals. But if they lose, then, yeah, then, then even their top four spot comes into a bit of jeopardy because they've got a tough game next week against the Eels too. So um, I reckon Friday night, if you're uh, if you're a footy fan, tune into that because it is going to be a cracker. And that'll give us a feel for where both of those sit and where either of them can uh, challenge the Panthers because the Panthers just look a class above right at the moment. Let's straighten up, get back to what we're focusing on, which is, of course, horse racing. Group one action back at Caulfield this Saturday with the Memsey Stakes. Where have the big early money gone? I know passive aggressive is one that's really tightened up in early betting. Yeah, it's been the best back by some margin. It's been two dollars eighty into two forty, and we've laid it at a couple of price points. We also laid a pre-post at three dollars as well. So it's been uh, significantly backed, um, and you know at that price as well, it takes a bit to move those markets. So it's been the best backed by some margin in what what looks a pretty good race too. All right, let's get on to the lay now. Warning has been heated, and last week's lay was scratched. Yes, so uh, that's safe. So keep keeping up his impeccable record. Yeah, and uh, obviously trainers tuning in. Mm-hmm. Who are we taking on this week, Tristan? Yeah, I'm going to the McNeil Stakes, and um, I'm taking on the favourite in that race, number twelve, Af Cabin. It's obviously been impressive, stepping wow. up in class immensely. Obviously, very impressive their last win, but I just, I just feel it's a really good field. Um, for mine, it's probably unders. I, I thought it maybe should be around about the four, four fifty oh, mark sort of thing. So at three ten, we're certainly happy to take it on. My gut feeling it may end up with a four in front of its uh, price there, uh, I, and I can see why. Tristan, I mean, it's coming back from the fourteen to the twelve and inside draw and so forth, and I think it's there for the uh, ex- Caulfield experience myself. But I still think it yes. probably the best horse in the race. So that is That's it. The Hunters can put Zen, a but, pen um, through aft cabin. Put a pen through aft. Oh, at least aft. a pencil. A pencil aft. through. I think it's aft cabin. Aft? Well, it's on, 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 a, aft? On, a, on a boat. Aft is the rear of aft, and it's by a stern. Uh, <laughs> please move on, Matt. I don't mean to sort of edumacate edu- edu- you. Okay, so from one thing that continually wins to something that doesn't win often... Let's get into the good three multi. <laughs> you know, I think it was... Turfy, like, what happened to your leg last week? It ran a fantastic race, but it was uh, ran third, did it? It's your bet. The thing in the first? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the... the Ran Bistro, not, not Vavia. 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 Yeah, who Ran had a well. old age, wrong name, doesn't remember what no, happened. No, it was the same stable, same colour. So oh, okay, well, that makes sense. had to come from last on a track where you couldn't come from last... I and think this is what I'm trying to say, Matt, is she it got, lost. She yeah. got well, I, when we did it, I think, oh, no, I should do this, the place. But <laughs> we, all, we discussed it. We even put a place yeah, multi up. But old mate Paul's leg cost us no, the place. I didn't like that. Uh, look, I'm going to go for Zambagini, the place, in that very same race, the McNeil. Uh, unbe- yeah. Unbeaten yeah. horse at the moment. He's jumped out well in preparation. B. Mellum, Matt Laurie going good. Um, the place, Zambagini. Paul? I'm going to be brave today, too. <laughs> <Brave>. <laughs> like a pee, you <laughs> Passive aggressive. I think it's. I'm really that, excited. That's brave, is it? Good call. Good <laughs> call. I'm really excited to watch her run. Uh, generational horse, potentially. We'll see. Generational oh, horse. Jesus. Well, you're in the that's racing media. Huge statement. Uh, I'm going with Luna Flair in the last. Jeez. The place. Sorry, the place. The place. What with about brown, $10 the win. What so. with brown circles? The colours of Luna Correct. Flair. Correct. She should Can have won. Can you tell me a famous Australian racehorse that oh. raced in those colours? A horse that won a derby and then seven days later won a George Adams, which is the, uh, the Cantala. It used to be known as the George Adams. Let's won make the, that a rhetorical question. Won the question. derby on the Saturday, seven days later won a George Adams. Taj Rossi. One go. of the absolute stars. Of course, has a race named after it uh, at Flemington. Tristan, what are we looking at? Yeah, we are looking at a uh, decent price of $12.60 about Zambagini to place, passive-aggressive to win. That's race five, race seven, and then in the last, Lunar Flare to place. So $12.60 about that. And, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll pop up the, the Pirate Multi as well to give punters another crack if they, if they think two out of the three legs Tristan to win too. So cannot lose. It side. cannot lose. Grit one racing returns. Can we just try a week where you don't say that yeah, and see if that's what he's <laughs> telling the multi? <laughs> Uh, Tristan, thank you very much. Of course, punters, head to topsport.com.au this weekend. Group 1 action, you'll be taking uh, big limits, I would have thought. Yeah, we are. Well, we've got the Memsey and we've got the Group 1, so we're already betting. And and I reckon the Memsey looks a lottery. looks a really tough race. You've got different form lines, a lot of horses first up. But for just punters out there wanting a little bit of a tip, we bet to win 10 grand from now on all the Group 1 races. And then in that last... 
25 minutes. Once the official price is open, we bet everyone to win 25 grand. So that's our minimum bet limit once the price is open. And it's a really good yardstick that betting, the, the big move from 20 to 25 minutes is the pros seem to wait until that 25-minute period to step in. And whatever horse firms in that five-minute window after the price is open is normally very, very hard to beat. So, Terfy, that's about that's what you've got in time. your ashtray. <laughs> that's great. That's great insights. Thank that's you, uh, Trist. That's, uh, I'm going to keep an eye on that. Absolutely. Well, Tristan, good luck for the weekend. Look forward to chatting next week. Thanks, guys. Speak then. Well, that's Tristan. That those sort of limits, Turfy. That is outstanding. Yeah, that's that's Under solid punting. That's solid bookmaking. Nice to see. What's your biggest ever bet, Turf? Oh, that's, that's oh, a yeah. very show us your badge. <laughs> Why are you so embarrassed to me? You got all the money in the world. Well, 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 what would I tell you? You're a nit. Well, what would I tell you? Hey, I haven't told my missus. I'm hardly <laughs> going to tell you. Paul, before we go, you made a an excursion. You took an excursion of sorts on Sunday. You went up to Swettenham. I gather, gather it was a bit of an action packed. I had a few hours. learnings to her from my trip away. Um, took my wife actually up to see some horse in the flesh. Um, Did you? Some of the lessons I learned was there's a lot more money in buying and selling horses than there is betting on them. Um, <laughs> another key learning from it is that people that are banned from race courses definitely aren't banned from attending the sales of rich horses and seeing. Who are you referring stones. to here? I'm, I, I appreciate the same. Like warned off? Oh. Yeah, an official, official, official warning off. Official warnings. Oh, this is not at sweating to me, though. I just want to say they, <laughs> they, it wasn't at their sale. Of, isn't a nice lake there as well? And you were there with your wife? You, were you skimming stones and having a picnic on the lawn there as Holding well? hands. Yeah. Um, you know, the funniest thing is we uh, stayed at Mitchell on the Sunday night and we had a tour with Sam Matthews at Sweatenham and on the Monday, now Cass, my wife, doesn't listen to this, I've never seen someone who enjoyed the local charades as much as she did <laughs> Sunday night and get the tour on the Monday. We went into the local vet area as we saw some ultrasounds of horses being told. She went from a nice rosy red to the pale white and she may have uh, had a pretty rough ride home. So some key <laughs> were learnings. There, were any uh, stallion work going on while you were there? No stallion work. They had to start for a couple of weeks. Um, a beautiful farm, beautiful area. Um, Sam uh, Matthews, of course, Adam Sangster did a terrific job up there. It's just a great, you know, it's a really good to have people back as well. One thing I want to add before we go as well, Andrew Jones uh, ran radio yesterday, moved the spring carnival back into summer i reckon that's a real chance next year that we're going to see some some significant changes to the victorian racing uh, calendar Hello. i don't think the i think the idea of the pattern and changes around that i reckon there could be some shifts you saw josh blanksby the mrc ceo yesterday he's on board so watch this space it's gaining momentum it's gaining momentum and yeah. as it should the next general manager of racing at rv has got a crucial job i reckon making some of those changes won't be featured will it i don't think so or you might see, say, the CFO or something like that move from the autumn, potentially. Mm. Um, but nothing major. We might digest that a little bit later on on the podcast. But that's been a good three for another week. Best of luck for the weekend. That was a good three. Presented by Racing.com and Top Sport.